Welcome to Workforce Inside, the podcast for business leaders looking for fresh insights and solutions to today's most pressing workforce challenges. I'm your host, Bhushan Sethi, Joint Global People and Organization Leader at PwC. In each episode, you'll receive new ideas from experienced practitioners who are helping employers drive workforce transformation. This past year of global disruption has tested companies, leaders, and cultures as never before. In some cases, cultures helped companies survive, and in others, it's proved to be a barrier. In this episode, we'll discuss our 2021 Global Culture Survey and explore these issues and more. I'm delighted to be joined today by Christopher Hannigan and Alice Joe, who both specialize in leadership and organizational culture. Welcome, Christopher and Alice. Thanks, Bashan. Great to be with you. Great to be here. Wonderful. So our first question is our most fun question, Christopher and Alice. The first question is, what teacher made the biggest impact on you and why? So it was my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Yetru, because she had the foresight to actually fail me and make me repeat kindergarten because of my social skills and I couldn't share with other people. So the advantage this gave me later in life was I was always the oldest person in my class instead of the youngest person. Although I have to tell you, Bushan, today the concept of shared plates in restaurants still makes me crazy. So I think Mrs. Yetru was onto something in uh, making me repeat kindergarten. My favorite teacher or the one who had the biggest impact on me wasn't really a teacher in the traditional sense, but he was my debate coach when I was in middle school. And when I think about what he taught me, the answer is very little. Because his role, I think where he was most effective was in kind of standing back, observing us. He read the room really well. He understood that we were all a bunch of type A people who had a tendency to go down rabbit holes. And so his primary job was to pull us back and ask, does this really matter? And I think that was the first time that I worked with a teacher who wasn't directive, who kind of didn't tell me what I needed to know, but really allowed me to figure it out. And I still keep in touch with him today. That's wonderful. What I love about both those stories are we've got to fail fast, we've got to read the room, and we've got to have different styles of learning. So thank you so much for sharing those. I feel that's a perfect segue to talk about organizational culture, Christopher. So we've both worked together with lots of clients during the pandemic. We've seen culture being a strength at the start of the pandemic with the focus on caring and compassion and a whole lot of discussion right now on workplace culture and how do we return to the workplace And how do we address the silver linings for everything that we've got right? A lot of discussions. So really excited to really dig into what we're seeing from clients, but also our global research. Can you start by sharing a little bit about the survey and what were the biggest findings for you? Yeah, this was a survey that we just fielded. And it's the third time we've done this survey. This year, it was with about 3,200 respondents in over 15 countries. And we do this survey to really understand how our perceptions of organizational culture changing and really what's going on inside companies. And a few just of the interesting things that we found in this one. The first was that companies that were more resilient really had their culture to thank for that. And this was, of course, a really particular issue just given the past year and everything that organizations have been through. We also found that culture is increasingly on the agenda of leaders. So more leaders today than in the past two times we've done this survey, about 71% are saying that culture is an important topic for them, up from 61% in 2018. 
Another really interesting thing we found, which is relevant to the period of the pandemic, is that most people said that getting people to develop and train people and developing and maintaining a sense of community among colleagues had gotten harder. 41% of people said that this had gotten harder in the last year. So I think that's very consistent with certainly what we're seeing at our clients. So the importance for leaders, the importance to drive resilience. I also heard kind of the importance as you drive your business forward. Alice, you've been working on culture topics for a number of years. As you look at this survey and you look at kind of what businesses have had to respond to over the last 15 months, what were some of your big takeaways? So one thing we've heard a lot is as companies went remote and during the pandemic was, I'm afraid we're going to lose our culture. And as companies think about bringing people back into the office, there's this sense of we have to bring people back in in order for us to resurrect our culture. And I think what people really mean when they say that is it's really about the connection. So if we look broadly at culture, culture is really the unwritten norms that guide how people behave on a day-to-day basis. Now, within that, there's that community and that connection. And the Global Culture Survey tells us one thing that people have found really difficult through the pandemic was around coaching. And if you think coaching, that's an activity that really requires that connection and that community. And so it's this element of connection that becomes really important. And the companies that have fared better during the crisis are those that have this connection in which there is trust because there's a consistent understanding of what our culture looks like. When we think about companies that we work with, some are going through various forms of transformation. Some are going through integration of new acquisitions. Some are trying to think about how they reopen and especially those human contact businesses, how they make customers feel safe, how we think about safety and well-being at, at the core of how we operate as a business also for our employees. How are you seeing this topic permeate across different clients that have different starting positions? What's interesting is a lot of companies are trying to figure out what good things about their culture did this period of remote working and just all the disruption that companies have experienced around the world, what good things did it bring out? And how can companies bottle those, if you will, and kind of keep doing them as we recover from the pandemic in many parts of the world? We're seeing companies becoming more aware, in some cases, of the disconnect between senior leadership and the workforce. That was something our study told us loud and clear, was that this gulf between senior management perspectives and the rest of the organization has never been wider. One data point to support that, 77% of senior managers said they felt a personal connection to the company's purpose, and just 54% for everyone else. Actually, I was a little surprised that the senior management score was only 77%, but nonetheless, there's a gap there. And that gap is consistent in something we've seen in the past years that we've done this survey. I think what we're seeing is companies emerge kind of from the pandemic period. There is a huge need for leaders to make sure they are really connecting with their workforces to understand how are they feeling, what is going on with them, and not just kind of surrounding themselves with people at similar levels and points of view. I wanted to talk a little bit about this gap. It's been really interesting and it's persisted through the pandemic, but it predates the pandemic. What we see very often is that leadership articulates a vision of what they want the organization's culture to be. It's always positive. It's very aspirational. There may be a communications program around it. There are posters. It's embedded in the values. And then that's it. There's the conception that once we communicate it, our culture will look like that. 
But there's often a disconnect because that articulated aspirational culture can be very different from what people feel on the ground. And very often, it's a question of mixed messages. So on one hand, leadership may be saying, we want people to move really quickly because we want to be very innovative. But on the other hand, if people are getting their hands slapped every time they make a mistake, they're receiving a different message that says we can't make mistakes. So which one is it? Do we want to move really quickly and be more innovative? Or do we really want to be very safe? And there's no good or bad answer, but there really needs to be a consistency in terms of what is our desired culture? What does that look like? What are those behaviors? And make sure that's consistent across all levels of the organization. So what I'm hearing from both of you is companies now need to be much more deliberate. So I remember working with financial institutions after the 08 financial crisis, and we did a lot of work with companies on risk culture, how to appropriately challenge. We've also done a lot of work with companies around stakeholder capitalism and the rise of organizational purpose. I'm just curious, as we look back to previous surveys, what is it that we can take from our lessons learned of driving culture change, even if that's the right way to brand a program in a company? What's different about today? What do you think will be kind of lessons learned from previous culture transformations and what we'll be thinking about differently as we maybe look back on this period in two years' time? Yeah, it's an excellent question, Bushan. It's something that we think a lot about. So a few lessons learned from my point of view is, number one, it is really hard to change cultures. And I think we know that, right, instinctively. But what this past year has shown us is many companies that succeeded actually didn't change their culture, but they figured out how to use their culture to their advantage and figured out how to look for the good things in their culture and do more of those things and support those good things that were you know, contributing positively to the organization. I think there's another lesson learned around culture forms every day through all the interactions. It's the cumulative total of all the interactions and experiences that an employee is having. And to the point that Alice made, you're still building culture, even though you might not all be in the office together or in the post-pandemic phase, you still might be working in hybrid models. Some people remote, some people in person. Culture is still getting built and reinforced through all of those interactions. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how companies can use that to their advantage and not kind of run away from it, but really lean into it and figure out once and for all, how do we use our culture, the culture we have today to our advantage and help it work with us as opposed to working against us? It ultimately comes back to what do we mean when we say culture, right? As we said earlier, culture, it's all these unspoken norms of behavior. And so what happened with the pandemic? People started working from home. You couldn't go into the office. People started sharing their workspaces with their homeschooling children. And so in organizations where there's a consistent culture that everybody understands, the informal unwritten rules came in to replace the formal mechanisms that got disrupted. So if I'm working in a place where my leaders need to know everything that I'm doing, I instinctively know, okay, I need to stay in close contact with my leader. Perhaps I need to talk to my manager at the beginning of each workday and give him or her a list of what I'm working on. If this has always been an environment where people are kind of left to their own devices, then I know, okay, let me craft my work plan, but I don't have to check in with my leader on a day-to-day basis. 
when there's that consistency in people's understanding of culture across the organization, then things work really well and culture really comes in to take the place of those formal mechanisms that got disrupted. The other thing I wanted to mention is we go back a few cycles. In one of our earlier global culture surveys, we asked about what enables culture evolution. We don't like to say change because change suggests kind of large scale change. But successful culture evolution requires using both kind of formal enablers. So, you know, formal communications channels, perhaps rewriting the org chart. And equally important is these informal leaders signaling certain behaviors, storytelling around the right kind of experiences. And it's when organizations use a combination of these levers that they're success. So what I love about this part of the dialogue is we're connecting lots of different points around a business's transformation, where it works, thinking about cultural norms, as well as leadership role modeling behaviors, but also some of those reinforcing mechanisms that you highlighted in terms of how we manage performance and how we manage people. I'd like to now revisit the topic of organizational purpose. Business increasingly feels a trusted source for employees and various stakeholders. Businesses increasingly have a voice on lots of issues, societal issues that are important to all of its stakeholders. Christopher, what did the survey tell us about that topic? So there were some findings around purpose and the degree to which organizations are comfortable having discussions on difficult topics, which I was really surprised by. 42% of middle managers and frontline workers said they believe their organization encourages discussion on sensitive and uncomfortable topics. That number went up a little bit for senior management, 61%. But still, this is telling us that organizations are still really struggling with how do they connect their own purpose as a corporation to the broader notion of societal purpose and everything going on in the world today. How do they get more comfortable having those discussions? And even as a management team, how do managers get more comfortable in staking out a view or a point of view or a stance on things that are going on? Or if they're choosing to not take a stance on a societal issue, how do they explain that to their employees and in some cases to their customers? So this is a a tough topic. Alice, I'm curious, as you look at that topic or broader, were there any differences across geographies or industries that you wanted to point out? So when we think about inclusion, the differences that we saw were less across industry. I I think it's the nuances when you get to different industries, what inclusion looks like and what the challenges are a bit different. But I wanted to talk again about some of the disconnect by level. When we think about it, it's not that surprising because part of inclusion, when we look at the survey, the highest scores were around questions about whether our team members inspire us and whether we're good at adapting how we work to accomplish our goals. So things that apply to everybody. But then when we look at questions around, let's say, sensitive conversations or understanding my background when it's different from others, when we're talking about underrepresented groups, that's where the scores get lower. So a lot of the challenges really come in when you think about the needs of people who are not within the majority within an organization. And from that context, because unfortunately, leadership tends to be unrepresented when we think about minority groups. And so therefore, some of the challenges really, there's a disconnect when we think about leadership and the rest of the organization. So if we shift gears to practically, how do we address some of these topics? So I'm a business leader. I want to sustain what's been working well for our teams. But I know that there's some changes in ways of working, behaviors, maybe some of the ways to reinforce that through how I manage performance and progression. 
Christopher, how do I get started? The starting point is making sure you really understand the culture that you have today so you can make it work for you as opposed to against you. So it's really looking at what are you trying to achieve from a strategy standpoint? Is the culture you have today going to get you there? Or do you need to make some modifications by focusing on the specific behaviors that you need to enable the strategy? So it's really around the understanding. And then how do you focus on a couple critical behaviors to shift at scale in your organization to better increase the chances of successfully realizing your strategy? I wanted to add to that because, you know, what Christopher talked about gets to the idea of coherence. And that's a really important point. Very often we see organizations layering one initiative on top of another. So we're trying to be innovative. Then tomorrow, okay, diversity inclusion is really important. Let's drive a culture of inclusion. And underlying all of that, you have fact-based, that's your existing culture, which has implications for all of these topic areas. So maybe in order to drive innovation, the message is let's move really quickly, be very innovative. There's a flip side of that. When you're trying to move very quickly, you're not taking the time necessarily to get different points of view. And so that's why we see challenges with you know some very innovative companies being able to move really quickly and kind of break a lot of rules. The flip side is we then hear about challenges in terms of you know high performers, very innovative people in these organizations who behave in non-inclusive manner and there are no consequences. And so culture really has to serve a lot of these dual purposes. The first step is really to understand your culture and the implications of your culture for your various strategic objectives, understanding that there's no one-size-fits-all culture. There's one really simple question when we're meeting with CEOs, for example, which is, will you achieve your strategic aspirations if everybody in your organization keeps acting exactly the way they are today? If that answer is yes, then fantastic. You can just keep doing what you're doing. But usually, of course, the answer is no. And that then sets up the discussion around, okay, if we do need people to act differently to achieve this aspiration, what are those ways of acting differently? And why are people acting the way they act? And if we want to change those behaviors, what are the things that we need to do that really enable those behaviors from a formal and informal standpoint to shift the behavior? Great. Thank you both. So what what I took away from that is absolutely start with the business outcomes lean into the behaviors that you're looking to drive. And I love your point, Alice, around what got you there in startup mode may not be the piece that you want as you scale. So one of the questions I'd also like to pose is, this is difficult work. This is work where you're going to have to, back to your best teacher example, you're going to have to experiment and there's going to be some failure, Christopher. What lessons learned have you seen in your career that you'd like to share with our listeners? One of the lessons that I've learned is there is value in doing less as opposed to more. And everyone is so overwhelmed today with information and direction and instruction. And there's incredible power in saying, as an organization, we're going to change one or two things and we're going to see what that gets us and where that takes us. So really focusing on the few versus the many is a powerful thing. The other lesson learned is that There is no downside to better engaging the management with the rest of the organization. And so often we see companies that have intentional efforts to better expose their management team to what is happening way down in the organization through informal ways. So we're not talking about town halls and big formal things. We're talking about on a regular basis, connecting every management team member down into the organization so they can understand how are the decisions we're making in the boardroom actually impacting people way down in the organization. And I have in my 28 
years of working, I have never seen an instance where that kind of engagement has failed to produce better boardroom conversations, better management team conversations, because there's an awareness and that gap in perception of reality closes, and that helps leaders be more effective. Thank you. So less is more and engage, engage kind of all critical stakeholders. Alice, what would you add to that? Yeah, I really like the less is more. And I think what I want to add to that is the idea that we should be clear about what we want to be versus what we don't necessarily want to be. There's a tendency to want to be everything. Usually that just means you have, you know, a culture and a strategy that pulls you in all directions. So I think being able to articulate we want to be a player. Let's say we want to be the fastest to market player, but these are some things we're willing to give up in order to do that. That becomes really important in clarifying your culture and how that drives your strategic direction. I think the other thing I wanted to say is there's a tendency to fixate on everything that's broken within an organization. When we do culture work with clients, there's a tendency to say, oh, we really need to change our culture. It's really broken. We need a new culture. But really, within every culture that I've worked with, there are some really positive strengths, kind of what drives people to work there beyond just how much they get paid. And there's not enough attention paid to these sources of strength. And so I urge our organizations and leaders really figure out kind of that's your pot of gold, what's special about your culture and make use of it. So we frame this conversation as a sharing of our findings, understanding there's a big focus on this from leaders. There's some disconnects throughout the organization, focusing on your strengths and connecting it to other initiatives that are happening in an organization. As we look to wrap up, what are the couple of messages that you would want to share with our listeners as they're thinking through their own organizational culture and where they should get started and what they need to address as a priority? I think there are just a few things in particular that leaders should be looking at. So number one is, what is it about our culture today that's working and why? So we can do more of it. I think the second thing is really deeply acknowledging the fact that my view as a CEO is very different from the view of the person running a sales team, the person in a call center, you know, dealing with customer complaints all day and having an awareness for that gap and really working very hard, making it a part of my management agenda to understand those perceptions and how my actions as a leader impact those employees, especially the customer-facing employees who are the ones creating the experiences for customers every day. And because less is more, I'm just going to add one thing. Within any organization, there are folks who really understand how things get done. They really get it. They're usually not senior leadership. They're somewhere in the middle management or kind of frontline supervisor ranks. They're the people others go to when they have a complaint, others go to when they want to know what the real scoop is. Figure out who these people are and talk to them because they can really tell you what's going on in your culture. So understand all of the stakeholders and connect with those people who really know what's going on. I love it. Thank you, Christopher and Alice. Thank you both for taking the time to speak to us today and sharing our exciting findings and experience on this topic of organizational culture, which is not new, but continues to be revitalized and so important as our companies and our businesses look to emerge stronger. We look to deliver on our purpose and our commitment to all of our stakeholders. It's been a great discussion. And thank you, listeners, for tuning into this episode of Workforce Insight. Please do visit our website for more insights on how to tackle your organization's workforce challenges and please subscribe to our podcast.
This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.